Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, yo, what's up, everyone? And welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you're all having an amazing December so far. I am extremely excited, grateful, and privileged to be reintroducing this very special legacy episode of Stay Grounded. In fact, it was the most downloaded episode of 2021, and that is with Mark Wolin. So Mark is the author of It Didn't Start With You and the director of the Family Constellation Institute in San Francisco and has devoted his life to understanding and healing inherited family trauma in others. So it's no surprise to me that this episode was the most downloaded episode of the year. I was actually going back through and really thinking about what I wanted to release. And I love doing re-releases, especially if it's really powerful content and it's timely because, I mean, it's hard to beat some of the guests we've gotten on the show. I mean, Mark is one of the most instrumental people to enter my life. And when I learned about what inherited family trauma was, it changed everything for me. And I hope after listening to this episode or re-listening to this episode, it sparks a deeper level of inquiry and exploration for you. So inherited family trauma is essentially trauma that started with your parents or your grandparents or your great-grandparents, but not with you. So it's, let's say your great-grandparent experienced some level of a traumatic ex- event, whether it was war or or an accident or some level of, of emotional sort of an emotional, an emotional peak without the tools to actually resolve those peaks, that stuff gets stored in the body and then it travels through epigenetics and it ends up with you. So if you have symptoms that you can't explain, if you're overly anxious for no obvious reason, or if you instinctively push people away without really knowing why, you're probably experiencing inherited family trauma. In fact, I have a belief that almost every single human being is traveling around with some level of inherited family trauma because Somebody in our family probably experienced a traumatic event. And if they're from a previous time period where emotional healing and really dealing with all of that wasn't necessarily at the forefront of our consciousness, then it probably got trapped in them. So if you're listening to this episode, you likely have some level of inherited family trauma traveling through you. What I love most about this episode and what I love most about Mark is that not only is he sharing what is inherited family trauma, but he talks a lot about how to be present with it, how to release it, how to leverage things like forgiveness and inner child work and reparenting and fathering and mothering to change the chemo- the alchemical impact that these traumas have on our own bodies and, and why Mark is so passionate about this work, how changing our genes allows us to be better individuals in societies, better parents, better lovers, and so much more. I mean, This was one of my favorite episodes of 2021. I re-listening to this sparked so much gratitude for Mark and the incredible impact that he has had on my life through his book and through his teachings. This one man changed my life and in more ways than one. And I'm just so grateful that we get to share 
his wisdom with you to close out the year as you're getting ready to decide how you want to enter into the new year, as you're getting ready to truly step into the greatest versions of yourself. I hope this episode serves as an incredible reminder of your own power and that you are enough. And that just because you have symptoms that you can't explain or symptoms that you were born with does not mean that you have to be stuck with them. The change can stop with you. And that is one of the most inspiring reminders of the work. And and, and, and this is one of the most inspiring reminders that I took away from this episode. So enjoy it. If you haven't already subscribed to us on iTunes, all that means that every single time we release a new episode, it drops straight into your inbox. Let me know how this episode lands with you. And I'm just so grateful Again, uh, for the privilege of getting to serve all of you through this way, through the podcast, through incredible teachers like Mark, it is an absolute honor and a privilege. So anyways, enjoy it. And without further ado, here is the amazing Mr. Mark Woolen. Enjoy. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome everyone to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you are all having a brilliant start to your week, middle of your week, end of your week, whenever you're choosing to tune in. I really cannot be more thrilled to be introducing you, good sir, Mr. Mark Woolen. How are you? Hey, Raj, I'm happy to be here. I said this earlier before we got to recording, but I'm so grateful for having you here and for the opportunity to share some of your work with our listeners and our communities because of the incredible profound impact that it's had on my life. I mean, it didn't start with you came to me at a very interesting time where I had just gotten out of a a really long breakup and I was sort of unraveling a lot of rule sets and a lot of beliefs that I had around love. And what was interesting is the way it didn't start with you and the idea of inherited trauma sort of showed up in my life was around the idea of the rule sets and beliefs that I learned about love from my parents and the fears and the insecurities and the heartbreaks and the stressors that I had sort of inherited in my body from years of either marital challenges or years of of just Indian culture in general. And so really diving into Indian culture and the way that those rule sets traveled throughout the body for me was a profoundly awakening sort of concept. So can you just set the stage? What is inherited trauma? And let's just paint that picture. And then from there, we'll kind of just spread our wings and fly into this fascinating line of healing, really. Okay, so let's say one of our parents or grandparents had a significant trauma. They lost their mother or their father when they were young or they were sent away, placed in an orphanage, given to an aunt to be raised, or one of their siblings died tragically when they were young. And this event broke the heart of the family. You know, and the family tries to cobble itself back together through, you know, being either stoic or, you know, people grieving in different ways, the reaction to the trauma doesn't necessarily stop with the people who experienced it. What we find are the sensations and the feelings, specifically the stress response, can be passed on to our children and grandchildren. And there's now, you know, lots of biological evidence for this. So question Let's say the original source of the heartbreak was a family member dying, or let's say the original source of the traumatic event was the Great Depression, 
or the original source of the event was 9-11. The trauma that travels throughout generations in the body, is it still related to that initial source event? So let's say, for example, if the initial stress that came uh, was from the Great Depression and it was around money, is that stress that travels throughout generations then related to money or is it just stress in general? It's not necessarily related to money. You know, when a trauma happens, it changes us. Literally, it causes a chemical change in our DNA. And this changes the way our genes function, uh, sometimes for generations. So technically, an event happens and there's a epigenetic tag or a chemical tag that attaches to the DNA and says, look, this terrible thing just happened. And it tells our cells to use or ignore these genes to give us a better chance of dealing with that trauma that just happened, a better chance of surviving it. So these gene changes, these are what's passed forward and they can express in different ways. For example, if there's loss, grief, pain, shame, embarrassment, these can, the way we deal with that loss, shutting down, tightening, leaving our body, this defense, this gene expression, this is what's passed down. And as we're learning from the science, it can be passed down for three and potentially more generations. I could give you an example. If our grandparents come from a war-torn country, even India during the partition in the 40s, you know, people being shot, people being killed, bombs going off, trains being stopped, uniformed men lining people up in the street, taking people away. Our grandparents would develop a, an epigenetic adaptation, technically a skill set to deal with this trauma. Maybe they develop a skill set that includes sharper reflexes, you know, quicker reaction times, reactions to the violence to help them survive this event. Now, the problem is this is what's passed down. But in this passing, here we are not born in a war-torn country inheriting a stress response with the dials set to 10, waiting for this catastrophe that never arrives. And here we are, you know, we don't make the link that our anxiety, our hypervigilance, our depression, our shutdown is connected to our parents and our grandparents. We just think we're wired this way. So do we need to understand the source of the trauma in order to release it? It's helpful. Yes, it's helpful. We don't always need to understand it. You know, if we have a practice of mindfulness, if we have a practice of staying in our body, if we have a practice of feeling the sensations in our core, that can be enough. But many of us also have this strong mind that wants to know why we freak out when we hear a loud noise, a tire backfiring, a car backfiring, um, a tire exploding. If see policemen, uniform men, and all of a sudden we have a tightening in our body, or I didn't do anything, or, or I'm innocent, you know, these feelings that arise that we're inheriting from generations past. So where we don't need to, it's helpful. This is what I do in the book. I help people look at their trauma language both verbal trauma language and nonverbal trauma language, looking at the symptoms so we can peel back the curtain 
in a way, look behind the curtain and see, you know, why we have this freak out, why we have this shutdown, why when our partner goes to hug us, you know, we go numb or we get tight or, or start shaking. And so it is helpful to know what the source is. I'm all about knowing what the source is, though. Oh, I guess I'm asking, like, is it useful to just attribute everything to an ancestral source? No, no, no. It's it. Look, I would say even larger than the ancestral traumas are the early traumas. For example, as you know, in my book, just about every chapter, I talk about breaks in the attachment, right. breaks in the bond with our mother. For example, there's so many events that happen early that we don't remember. Hmm. So when we're in utero and mom and dad are separating, mom's not sure she's going to keep the the baby. We're the child after a stillborn. And mom is terrified that we could die too. Dad's drinking. Someone's cheating. They are almost splitting up. Mom's dad dies. Uh, Mom's mom dies. Mom's beloved brother dies. Maybe even physiologically, mom's body begins to eject the pregnancy, there are so many events that happen before we have cognition, be, you know, that are precognitive before our hippocampus is online to help us make sense. Technically, the hippocampus doesn't form connections to the prefrontal cortex until we're about right. three, three years old. So we have no idea as to the why, but all these things happen. We were in an incubator. Our parents took an early vacation. We had our tonsils out. Mom sent us to grandma's for a week when we were six months old because she and dad needed a break. All these early events also have a profound effect on our limbic system. You know, we have now we have this overactive amygdala, which is saying, "Uh oh, my partner, she should be home by now. And we go into terror thinking that it's our partner when really our partner is leading us toward the early events with our mother, that we have no idea that that's in the mix. I guess that, and I'm really glad you brought that up because those are seemingly inconsequential events, right? Like that don't seem like So they tell us. So they tell us, right? And so even if I try exploring it, like let's say I go and have a conversation with my mom, I'm trying to find the root source of my anxiety and I go to my mom she wouldn't even know to bring that up as a potential yeah. event. Exactly, right? Raj. She either doesn't bring it up because she doesn't remember. She doesn't remember right. that, you know, she and dad were going through a hard time. She doesn't remember that she wasn't sure she was going to keep the pregnancy. She wasn't even aware of the timing when the stillborn babies happened. Or, or another one is she didn't get enough from her mother and then mm. can't turn around and give us enough. So her attunement right. has holes in it. So you're right. She either doesn't remember or she thinks she's immunizing us by not telling us, oh, everything was fine. Oh, I wanted to have you. Oh, the pregnancy was fine. Or, oh, your dad and I were fine. Thinking that the less we hear, the more we won't be affected. But it's, of course, as we know from reading the book, it's quite the contrary. What remains secret, what doesn't get told, what information is silence, this can have the greatest effect. So what is a healthy way to approach these types of situations and knowings that like, all right, I may never actually know the source of my, like the actual event that created my trauma, 
but I know that it came from something in my past. It came from my mom or maybe it came from my mom's mom or it came from my mom's mom's mom. Like you don't know where the train started. What's a healthy way and what's the most effective way to actually experience a visceral release or a healing event that can allow you to step into a more pleasant present day experience? Okay, so we've got to calm this amygdala. We've got to calm this limbic system. You know, we either had it affected when we were in mom's womb or we were three or we were five, or it's generational, meaning we've inherited the effects of a gene change. So the way our genes are affected can change how we act or feel. For example, we become sensitive or reactive to situations that are similar to the original trauma that may have even occurred in a generation prior. But the bottom line is we're inheriting these gene changes, which can be an over, can affect our limbic system. So we've inherited this overactive amygdala, like our mom had, this overactive limbic response that our grandfather, our grandmother had. And ultimately, this needs to calm. So when I work with people or when we, when we do our own work, we've got to find a way to feel safe with our body's responses. We've got to, you know, if our heart's beating rapidly and we come from a trauma background, that can mean terror and fear and I'm going to die. But a rapid heart rate could also mean I'm excited or I'm in love. Mm. <laughs> you know? right. But to us who've had a lot of trauma, we experience it as tachycardia and have a terror that I'm going to die. Something's going to not go well. This is terrible. So we've got to make peace with the sensations in our body so we can reach beneath them in effect and learn to jive with, live with, be with, relax with the sensations in our body. For example, can we feel the pulsing of our blood throughout our core? Can we feel our heartbeat? Can we feel energy moving in our body? Can we feel expansion? Can we feel stillness? Can that be pleasurable as opposed to Mm. threatening? Can we find these sensations pleasurable rather than threatening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to touch on that specific piece real quick because... I think that's a really terrifying idea of, you know, especially if there are prickly emotions or prickly sort of things that you traditionally would run to alcohol for or run to the gym for or like go to something outside of you to feel like, you know, what, how do you teach sort of presence with what is? Okay. So um, one of the things I might do is, well, one of the things I will do is to locate where, in the body, our trauma response is made aware to us. For example, if we had a break in the attachment with our mom, just the visualization of our mom taking steps close to us. For example, one, two, and when I reach the count of three, she's going to be an inch away from our body. Three. Mm. And all of a sudden, you know, we have this trauma response of I'm not safe. I want to push her away. I've left my body. I've dissociated. So basically, we've got to find where in the body we hold these trauma responses. 
And then we need to practice being with the uncomfortable sensations in our body until we, as I said earlier, can reach beneath them and experience our sensations as life-giving, you know, sensations like pulsing, tingling, softening, expanding, blood flowing, waves of energy, waves of warmth. And then we need to be able to hold these sensations, my experiences, for at least a minute and then do this practice about six times a day. So sometimes I tell Mm. people, what if you could hear that one minute, six times a day, six minutes a day could change your life of Mm. being with. And then it goes further. I'll teach people how to be with. I might have somebody place their hand on their chest that feels tight and maybe the hand on their womb or lower belly that feels numb. And I might have somebody open their mouth so they're not tightening like this. Or I might have somebody soften behind their knees, and which automatically when you drop, it's sort of a somatic hack. If you mm-hmm. soften behind your knees, try it. You can feel your toes now on the floor, your feet spreading on the floor, and you can also feel a spreading at your perineum, your pelvic floor. So just, I'm telling the listener right now, the watcher, just by softening behind your knees, you can feel a spreading at your pelvic floor. In other words, you're not tightening the energy away. You're using the energy to go inside. You're not tightening to leave your body. You're opening to experience your body. So at this point, I might have somebody to hold those places, to open those places, and to experience calm expansion, heart beating, you know, the things we talked about before, and let this affect us physically, viscerally, to trust the feeling of it in our body, to do the practice because it feels right. And, Mm -hmm. you know, for people who've been afraid of the sensations in the body, this is profound because they've been, like you said, going to drink, going to self, their cell phone, going to Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, just to feel better, liking somebody, being liked, to have a dopamine hit, when really we can get a dopamine hit by just being with the sensations in our body and finding them pleasurable. I'm really appreciating this sort of shift from fearing what we're feeling to almost loving what we're feeling. Yeah, And I want to kind of mirror that up because I think we talked about generational trauma, right? Like in, in the body passing through what I found for me, and I'd love your take on this are generational fears sort of passing through as well, which actually cause the visceral feeling in my body. So like if there's a generational fear that I learned from, you know, my dad who came to the U S with $60 in his pocket, you know, he had a survivor mindset when it came to, you know, making it in, in this country. And if I was born into that, even though I have all the resources at my disposal, I was born with these generational fears around being a survivor and needing to, it's like the passing on of not just the physical trauma, but almost like the, the mindset or the beliefs or the generation. So like what balance does the sort of actual viscerally letting go of the feeling and changing it from fear to love also play with sort of the like almost rewiring of the generational fears that are also passed down. I like what you're saying here because we do need to rewire. You know, many of us think that we're just wired this way that, um, you know, and you ask people, 
And people would tell you, yeah, yeah, I, I have this tight chest and, and my, I can barely catch my breath. And, you know, I hate being in crowds or if I public speaking. And these aren't necessarily, they didn't, you know, the book says that they didn't start with you. They aren't necessarily our fears, our feelings, mm. our sensations. We've often inherited, as you said, fear responses from the environment, from the events of our parents and grandparents. So just as you talked about, I asked people in the book many questions, but one of those questions is, hey, Raj, what's the worst thing that could happen to you? What's your worst fear if things went terribly wrong, if things suddenly came undone, if things fell apart? What would be the worst thing that could happen to you? And often the answer to this will give us an event that happened generationally or happened through attachment. For example, mm-hmm. if it's an attachment fear, it'll be, I'll be alone. I'll be abandoned. I'll be rejected. I'll be powerless. I'll be annihilated. These are often attachment sentences, fear responses. Whereas generational fear responses, I'll lose everything. Mm-hmm. I'll go crazy. I'll hurt somebody. I'll do something terrible. I'll be sent away. I'll be hated. I'll harm a child. You can feel the different quality of some are generational and some come from attachment. But the strange thing about attachment is that is three generational as well. Yeah. So if our grandmother was an orphan and has the fear or feeling, I'll be all alone. She passes that gene change, that stress response, that amygdala, that limbic brain. That's what gets forwarded. So we don't know if it's our break in the attachment with our mother or our mother's break with her mother or her mother's break with her mother or our father's break with his mother and so on and so forth. Right. And as you're saying that, I'm I'm realizing if, let's say my grandmother believed that about herself, she's going to act in a way that is in accordance with that belief. So she's actually going to raise the child, my dad or my mom, in a way that actually instills that belief exactly. in, in them. And then they then pass that along. And it's this chain. It's not even just the instilling of the belief. If she is now motivated through survival instinct because of her trauma, she might be inundating the children by leaning into them or disconnect for them because she's not present. So Mm. it's now these traumas of, do I feel that I have to take care of my mom's feelings because she's lonely, she's sad, she's broken, or I want my mom's love, but I can't ever reach it because she's not present. So now because of her traumas, traumas affect fathering and mothering. So it's so complex. It's so interweaved. It is. This interwoven matrix that we inherit of parenting affected by trauma, Traumas that are affecting limbic brains, limbic systems that are heritable, gene changes that are heritable. The question is, is you asked me earlier, why is it important to peel back the layers, to peel back the curtain and look behind? Because this morass, this matrix of events that it's helpful to know why we feel the way we feel, why our mom couldn't love why our dad drank, why our mother was critical, why our father was harsh. Yeah, It's helpful to look yeah. behind so we don't hold the energy of, 
oh, I hate them. Instead, we can begin to have understanding and compassion because you know and I know the compassion is a feeling state that feeds the prefrontal cortex. And once we start living in the prefrontal cortex, instead of living in the limbic brain, we begin to heal. I am so glad you brought up compassion. You know, after I read your book is really when I actually started changing my own relationship with my parents. Like I started having so much compassion because I started asking the question, what did my dad have to go through in order for him to be who he is today? Right. Like it's almost like put myself in his shoes and then go even deeper. Like what environment did he, was he raised in? You know, my dad was raised in a village and, you know, I've actually since then I've, I've asked him to share a lot of stories about the way he was raised and, and really learning about his struggles growing up was so eye opening for me. And it made me realize just, you know, the way he is and why he is the way he is. And it brought so much healing and love and, and, and almost like letting go, if you would, which feels even forgiveness in a lot of ways, right? Compassion and forgiveness. So I guess like in this journey, as you're learning to sort of become aware of all these things, like what role like does forgiveness actually play? Can you touch on that and, and just really dive into the importance of compassion and forgiveness on this journey? So there's a couple different kinds of forgiveness. There's the, I forgive you, mom. I forgive you, Dad, which kind of, that, that doesn't really lead to an open heart. It's almost like the child's bigger than and judgmental. Um, whereas a deeper level of that forgiveness is, oh, Dad, I understand. I get it. Mom, I yeah. get it. You, you can hear the difference in that type yeah. of forgiveness. So, you know, forgiveness, you're right. It leads to an opening, but almost, it's almost as though, Deeper than I forgive you are the words, I get it, I understand. And this can open so much for us. Dad, I, I understand why you hit me, you were hit. I understand why you left mom, your dad left grandma. Mom, I understand why you drank. Your mother left you when she was depressed. Emotionally, she shut down. You know, we start to see the bigger picture and we stop holding our parents blameful. Instead, we hold them in a human way. And that opens our understanding, which opens our compassion, which feeds our prefrontal cortex, which opens our heart, which opens our body. I mean, you know, systemically, we begin to have all these changes just by looking behind the curtain. The combination of work for me that's been really helpful is your work in with the generational looking back, but then also recognizing that I have an inner child inside of me oh, yeah. that is holding. So like, does inner child work play an important role in the journey of healing? And, and how does that integrate with what you teach in the book? Can you explain what inner child work is for anybody who? Yeah, it's a good question because I, I'm thinking, okay, first people have got to know what an inner child is because some people hear the word inner child and they go, uh, yuck. You know, they have an aversion to working with their inner child. So I'm going to call the inner child ways we fragmented, ways we split off, ways we shut down not to feel something, ways we tightened. And these sensations live in our body as shutdowns, tightening, responses to love, responses to pain. We can't take in. We can't let go. We can't open up. 
that's our inner child ways. So we have to locate this child. You know, my partner, let's say when she goes to hug me, I tighten in my chest. That's my inner child. My partner, she goes to hug me. I leave my body and I feel numb here. That's my inner child. My panic when somebody walks close. That's my inner child. It's the young parts of us that are reactive or overly protective so we don't get hurt again, so the rug doesn't get pulled out from under us. So we would say, that well, that's a good thing. We don't want the rug to be pulled out from us. And you're right. However, if we defend to keep ourselves from being vulnerable and open and surrendered, then we never get close and we never mm. love. And we never know the joys of intimacy and connection because we're too defended not to get the rug pulled out from under us. That's our inner child. So we need to integrate those parts of our body that fragmented what I call integrating the fragmented parts. Another way to say it, healing the inner child. Mm. Is that helpful? Yes. Uh, very, very helpful. And, yeah. and I'm glad you brought that. It's just that one combination. Cause even being able to connect that dot, like, you know, my parents did something or said something or withheld something and being able to understand why they did that is one element of the journey. But then bringing it back to me and having compassion, even for that inner child, like, Hey, little guy, your response was so valid. I get why you may have like shut it off. I get why you may, it's like almost you like, it was like a combination of understanding and having compassion from where it came from and reparenting myself. Beautiful. Very good word. Right? Exactly. Because, you know, our mom and dad couldn't do it. They were reeling from the effects of traumas that happened to them or their parents. Yeah. So they couldn't parent because traumas block the flow of love. Traumas affect parenting. So mm. the only one left in the ballgame in the stadium is us to parent those parts of us that are fragmented, shut down, dissociated, numb. And I love the word reparent because that is what we do. So a sentence I often give is holding those places in us that were fragmented, shut down, numb, dissociated, splintered, tight, unfeeling, and say, hey, I've got you got you and I'll breathe with you until you feel held and seen and safe mm. or I'll breathe with you until you feel safe until we integrate as one until we can feel our heart beating and our sensations as not hostile but life-giving so it might look like this. I might have our client opening his or her mouth, putting hands like we talked about earlier, where the inner child, the body is fragmented, integrating those parts of the child that are disintegrated because that's what they did. They disintegrated. That's what happens during the trauma. The mind disperses. We disintegrate. Bringing back those parts integrating those parts and saying words like, hey, I've got you. 
and I'll breathe with you until we can feel our heart beating, until we can feel warmth spreading through our core, until we can feel pulsing of our blood, until we can feel energy streaming through our core. Yeah, it feels good. Yeah. And then doing that six times a day for a minute each time. That makes sense? Yeah, this, this is so helpful. And I really appreciate the different ways you're actually explaining self-love in its basic form. For somebody who may not have practice, you know, being able to speak to themselves that way or have that level of patience with themselves, what message would you have for them who is new to this idea of being kind to themselves or being patient with themselves or not judging themselves on this? Like, for that individual who has that really loud voice, like, this is why I wrote the book. So I know a lot of people won't do therapy, don't believe in therapy, have a hard time looking inward. That this is what I did. I, in the beginning, I taught people how to listen to their trauma language, to ask certain questions. So this language comes up both verbal and nonverbal trauma language. So if it's verbal, we say things like, I'll be all alone or I'll be abandoned or I'll be rejected. You know, that's the verbal trauma language. But when it's the nonverbal trauma language, and I teach people in the book to do this, looking for the physical and emotional symptoms that show up after some unsettling event in our lives or looking for the fears or the anxieties that strike suddenly when we reach a certain age or, you know, because as I talk about it in the book, it's often the same age that something happened, something traumatic happened to someone else and our, our mom, mm. our dad, our grandma in the family history. Or we look for the depression or the destructive behaviors that we do, the drinking, the smoking, the shutting down that arrives after a situation that's similar to what happened to my mom, my grandfather, so on and so forth. This nonverbal trauma language is also mirrored in our relationship struggles who we choose, the type of person we choose, how we get treated. Right. We get treated terribly like our mom got treated, like our dad got treated. Or we also see this nonverbal trauma language mirrored in the ways we deal with money, success, Mm -hmm. success, our career. All of this forms like a breadcrumb trail. So I teach people how to get on that breadcrumb trail. And then the second part of the book, I teach people how to find it, where it comes from, right? Do these trauma responses, this trauma language, verbal, nonverbal, does it come from attachment, break, or does it come from a generational trauma? Then in the third part of the book, that's what I do. I teach people to have inner experiences. And now I'm answering your question. I teach people how to have inner experiences to tame, to calm the limbic brain, because we often are terrified of the limbic brain's response in our body, creating uncomfortable, intolerable, unenjoyable feelings in our body that we don't want to feel. I don't want to feel this loneliness. I want to drink. I don't want to feel this loneliness. I want to go on Instagram. I don't want to feel this loneliness. I want to make a call, call, call somebody so I'm not alone. When I invite us to feel that, not get on the phone, not drink, and either get some help with a clinician who can help us, a therapist that can get help us, or if we 
have the wherewithal to start to ask questions and to go deep within and say, oh, I'm feeling this because I've traced it. Remember what we do in the book? I found the the trail, the breadcrumb trail. I traced it to what happened to my mom or what happened early with my mom or what happened to my dad with his mom or dad. And I've traced it. Now I can look at it because it's not so scary. Because as the book says, it didn't start with me. Because this didn't start with me. I've inherited my dad's trauma response, Mm. my grandfather's trauma response. And now I can trace it because it's not so scary because I've begun to see that this is the family trauma response. Can you share the importance of doing this work? I've devoted my life to it, right? Uh, right, right. Like, but why is it so important for everyday individuals who are just like, why? I think like, and I know that sounds maybe like a simple question, but I think there are so many people who don't see the upside. Because if we don't do this work, we're living in our trauma responses and we're living in our reactivities. So we're reacting to love or partnership of Uh, Yeah, man, I don't want to be with her. She's crazy. In other words, our reaction is projected outward onto the other. And we see the other as bad. We see the other as wrong. We see the other as hurting us. Rather than looking at our reactions to events. In other words, we can live a nice, lonely life of reactivity rather than a open-hearted life of inner exploration. So we, instead of blaming other people for what happens to us, we can look at, ah, oh yeah, she said this, and all she said was this, but I had this trauma response as she's bad, she's mean, she did this to me, rather than all she said is, hey, I'm going to go out with my friends. (laughs) And so basically, we've got to tame our trauma responses, our reactivities, so we can live a loving, open, compassionate, gentle life filled with compassion, loving kindness, generosity, gratitude. And then we find these feeling states feed our prefrontal cortex, compassion, gratitude, loving kindness, generosity, Really, anything that makes us feel good inside, love. I think that's the answer. I mean, really, it's so important to do this work. And for me, I'm realizing if you don't actually take the time to heal generational trauma, if you don't actually take the time to uncover why you are the way that you are, you will continue passing on these traumas, these beliefs, these fears to your kids. And they will to their kids. And that will just continue going on. And I've always found it as this really inspiring reminder. Like this is why I continue going back to healing. Because if I do nothing else in my life but just break the chain of passing on fears from generations, from generations past to my children, then my future children, I don't have kids yet. But if I did that, then I've done something beautiful and there is so much 
I just find so much beauty in that journey. There's so much beauty in being able to return to yourself. And it's a lot of work, though. I think that's why I wanted you to, to share the inspiration because, like, I mean, this is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> Going into, you know, like, it's this is the journey of healing is not for the faint of heart. But what you said, Raj, is beautiful and it needs to be underscored. This being able to, it stops here. It doesn't get passed forward. I tend to believe in just what you said, that our job is to heal ourselves, is to become loving, giving, whole. whole. Yeah. And as you said, it's not for the faint of heart, because once we open the door and look inside, it's terrifying often. You know, we find parts of ourselves that live in shadow, parts of us that are ugly, parts of us that cause others pain, parts of ourselves that are difficult to look at, parts of us that are difficult to look at because the feelings that Mm. arise in our body are so painful. I often say many of us struggle with this feeling of great aloneness. And we walk with a terror of aloneness that lives in our bodies. But you're right, when we're willing, not for the faint of heart, when we're willing to open the doors and to look inside, and to practice mindfulness or to practice feelings of receiving comfort or feelings of support or feeling having a generosity practice, a gratitude practice, a loving kindness practice, doing something nice for somebody every day, then that's where it can begin to change because not only to practicing these feeling states feed the prefrontal cortex and allow us to reframe the stress response so it has a chance to downregulate, but Whenever we have these positive experiences that we practice, they change our brain, we need to practice being with the new feelings and the new sensations of these positive experiences of heart beating, body calm, expansion. Because when we do this, we not only create new neural pathways, we also stimulate the release of feel-good neurotransmitters in our brain, like such as dopamine serotonin, GABA, or we stimulate the release of feel-good hormones in our body like estrogen, oxytocin. Not only that, we can change, as you said, the gene response. So our kids do better. In other words, we can change the way our genes express. So the very genes involved in our body's stress response can begin to function in a new, improved way. In other words, we can change the way our DNA expresses and hereby protect our kids and their kids. Mark, I'm inspired to know, what did you experience in your life that has led you to making this your life's work? Like I feel the passion and I feel the energy that you're pouring into what you do. And it feels like I'm inspired. Like, can you share about that journey for you? Yeah. You know, like many of us, I, I had symptoms that I couldn't explain. It's about 30 years ago, I began to lose the vision in one of my eyes. And, you know, I figured it's probably not much, but I went to the doctor and found that it was a lot. I had this chronic form of retinopathy that couldn't be cured. And the doctors told me, I said, why do I have this? And they said, we don't know. We just think it's stress. And I knew nothing about the brain and nothing about stress responses. But they told me, but the way it was progressing, I was likely going to lose the vision 
and my other eye as well. And now I'm pretty freaked out and I'm desperate to find help. And I don't, there's no help. It's 30 years ago. And I go in this, you know, I leave my city. I leave my job. I leave my relationship. I start reading books. There wasn't even an internet, you know, 30 years ago that could lead me. But I was able to find these masters, these teachers. And I go in the search for healing that leads me halfway around the globe, literally as far as Indonesia, where I learned from several wise teachers who taught me some pretty fundamental principles, one of which was the importance of healing my relationship with my parents. Mm. But before I could do that, I had to heal what stood in the way, which was inherited family trauma, though I don't know it at the time. But specifically, this anxiety that I had inherited from all my grandparents who were all orphans. They were all Mm. orphaned in some way. Three of them lost their moms when they were infants or toddlers. And the fourth lost her dad when she was one. So basically she loses her mother too in the grief. So as my parents, as they inherited this stress response, I inherited also this feeling of being broken from a mother's love. And this was what was passed down in my family. I remember, oh man, Raj, I'm five or six years old running into my mother's room whenever she'd leave the house. And I'm panicked. And I remember just opening up her drawers as a toddler. I'm five years old, crying into her scarves, into her nightgowns, you know, thinking that I'd never see her again. That was the thought I had. I'm never going to see her again. I'm never going to see her again. Which, And all that I would have left was her smell, which is exactly what happened to my grandparents. Mm. As babies, as infants, their mothers didn't return. And all they did have left was her smell. And 40 years later, I remember sharing this with my mom. I said, you know, mom, when you'd leave the house, I would cry into your clothes. She goes, oh, I did that too. And I said, what? She said, yeah, when my mom would leave, I'd cry into her clothes. And then my sister reading the book said, Honey, I did that too. When mom would leave the house, I cried into the... And then I realized there was this family pattern that thinking the mother would never come back, crying into her clothes, thinking all you'd have left was her scent. And after healing the broken bond that I had with my mother, Raj, my sight came back. Mm. It, It was weird because at this point, I didn't even expect it to. I didn't even care at that point. I was just, you know, committed to the process, not the outcome. And I find... People who heal don't do these practices because they want an outcome. They do these practices because the practices themselves feel right. So my sight comes back and afterwards I said, oh my God, I got to teach this. You know, I've got to share these principles that I've learned. And ultimately I developed this method for healing the effects of inherited family trauma. Wow. Oh man, I cannot... One, thank you enough for creating those methods because I've been a beneficiary of your principles, of your teachings from the book. I know many others in my communities have also really benefited from you just shining that idea of, hey, it didn't start with you. It came from before you and how many relationships that has changed. I just really want to honor you for that. And I'm just, my heart is so full and I'm so grateful for that. So it didn't start with you is the resource you would recommend for anybody who wants to learn. Is that the resource that you would recommend? 
Yeah, yeah. It's in 19 different languages, so it's easy to read in your indigenous language. It's a bestseller. It won, you know, the 2016 Nautilus Award in Psychology. Yeah, I recommend it. I stand behind it. It's my life's my life's work. Absolutely. <laughs> well, everybody, we're going to make It Didn't Start With You is the name of the book. It's available everywhere. I cannot recommend the book enough. And And Mark, if someone wanted to reach out and just say thank you for you know, the work you're doing in the world, how would they go about doing that? Is, do you have social? Is, is there an email? Like, what do you think? Instagram, Facebook, everywhere. Also, markwollyn.com, W-O-L-Y-N-N.com. And all the people who want to train with me, we have a training that just completed that's now streamable. And I, I give live advanced classes or sessions with either me if I'm, you know, I have a bit of a waiting list or one of the people who've train with me. Yeah. I love it. Well, again, I'm just so grateful, Mark. This has been such a pleasure getting to know you and just for getting a chance to really share your wisdom. I have one last question for you. Uh, in the midst of everything you've experienced and your own healing journey, how do you stay grounded? I do the practice that I talked about several times in this podcast. I take moments each day and I feel my core, my inner body, my sensations, and I take time to feel it as a single field of energy with multiple sensations, perhaps, or sometimes even just a single sensation of energy coursing up and down, or if I'm tight, bringing in the tightness to that feeling of expansion, or if my neck hurts, or I feel a part of my body doesn't want to come online, I stay patient and I say, I've got you and I'll mm. breathe with you till you come, come back online. And then it comes back online and I stay <sighs> grounded. Oh, I love you, sir. <laughs> you are, you're just such a legend. Like I love how calm, how much patience. Like it's so inspiring just to even watch the way that you describe the practices and, and your tonality and like I can just feel the warmth and the compassion that you embody and Thank it's you, just so inspiring to know that that's where we can all be like as we do the work as we commit ourselves to our own inner journeys like that level of patience and love and compassion is something that's accessible inside of all of us. And I just really want to honor and thank you again for just inspiring that in me. And I know a lot of us listening here. So thank, thank you very much, Rush. It's thank kind you. words. But everybody, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host, Raj. This is your new friend, Mark. And from us, stay grounded. We'll chat with you soon. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded. <laughs>